Welcome to another episode of Men's Bible Study. Today, Pastor John Mark Caton joins us again to continue our walk through the book of James. As we look into the book of James, there's a lot that we can gather on what it takes to be a man. And what we're going to learn today is the way that we communicate with one another, the way that we talk to people, and the way that we can tame our tongue. Now, let's hear from Pastor John Mark. All right. Hey, we've been in a series uh, doing the right work the right way because God's got stuff for us to do, and I'm fired up to be back with y'all again. We're in James chapter 3, looking at James, the brother of Jesus, the little brother of Jesus, uh, that uh, that one that thought Jesus was nutso for a while uh, until he encountered him at the resurrection. And then he became a leader in the church uh, in Jerusalem, and then he wrote this little book to us that is, uh, I would just say, it's a man's book on everyday theology. This is just how we should live. And what I like about him is he's talking about faith and works. He's talking about rolling through trials, how we should man up. Uh, but he's also today going to be talking about something that um, probably going to ruin your day. Probably going probably gonna to cut half your conversation uh, out of your day. Why? Because he talks today about taming the tongue. How many of you know that is a difficult thing to do? As a matter of fact, uh, James acknowledges that. He goes, dude, if you can tame the tongue, you can tame the rest of your body. I mean, that three-inch muscular organ with thousands of taste buds on it. He says, guys, if you can take that and keep that in the right, on the right track, you can actually take the rest of your body and keep it in check. And so in the last couple of weeks, we've just been looking at, uh, uh, at things like God's got stuff. Man, if we're going to do the, good, the right work the right way, God's got stuff for us to do. I've got some growing up to do. I've got some stuff I need to learn. I've got some things I need to go through. I've got some people I need to like, even when I don't like them. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And then he says, man, I've got some stuff to do as it relates to faith and works. And today, I need to learn to tame the tongue. If I'm going to be who God wants me to be, I need to learn to tame the tongue. You know, if you're going to have a good marriage, how many of you know you better tame your tongue? I remember early in ministry career, I quote him a little bit because he was a real older guy. He had retired from teaching at Liberty University, and then, he, then I had him at, uh, at seminary. He was kind of that second uh, guy. And the older guy, Sumner Wimp, great evangelist, wonderful guy, always wore a three-piece suit. You know that old pastor with suit and everything? Had the hanky every week. Uh, it was a bad suit, but uh, it, it looked good on him, right? And I remember him talking to us. He'd always just give these little nuggets of wisdom as an 85-year-old guy, and he used to say, guys, I could probably, how many get married in here and um, you know and I, I wasn't married I was single when I surrendered the ministry I got married the next year but I re- clearly remember him saying something he says you know best barometer or thermostat on anybody's marriage in here if I walk up to you and say stick your tongue out he goes I can tell by looking at your tongue if you've got a good marriage he goes if there are bite marks all over it he goes you got a good marriage all right <laughs> He goes, if you've learned to bite your tongue, then you know you got a good marriage. And his point was, man, if we learn to tame the tongue, I will promise you your marriage will be better. Your relationships will be better. Guess what? Your your leadership and leadership potential at the office will be better. All right? So whatever we do... We need to understand that we need, this is a serious thing. Man, our tongue's about three inches, thousands of taste buds. 
but it is out of control if we let it. I mean, it is a wild dog, and he's going to say it is a fire waiting to happen. It is full of deadly poison. Don't we know that? And I love that's, for, that's, that's the reality of James. He says, guys, listen, if we're going to be who God wants us to be, we've got to watch the tongue. Now, I, I want you to know also, how many of you know we like to have fun here at Cottonwood Creek? All right. He's not saying don't, don't be sarcastic. He's not saying don't throw barbs uh, at your friends. And as a matter of fact, uh, if, you know, they know my love language is sarcasm, right? If, if, if I'm not picking on you, I probably don't like it. That's just the way it works. That's my 10th that's my fruit of the Spirit, right? Just, it's, that's the way it is. So he's not saying any of that. But what he is saying is be careful. Before we even get to James chapter 3, hopefully you have James chapter 3, let's see what he says. He says the tongue is a tyrant. Let's be careful. Back, go back to chapter 1. Maybe we just, you just went over this verse. Verse 26, he says, those who consider themselves religious yet do not keep a tight rein on their what? On their tongue, deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. You know what he's saying? He's saying your tongue is a crystal ball to your soul. Your tongue is a crystal ball to your soul. What you say and what you do, he says, listen, you can say all you want about being spiritual and being religious. He says, but if you don't tame the tongue, your religion is worthless. You know what he's saying? You can say all you want about how much I love God and I, I love people and I love this and I love my wife and I love this. But if you don't tame your tongue, people will say, I don't think I want anything to do with that. And that's exactly what he says. He said, a crystal ball to your soul. You might want to just write this down when it comes to your tongue. Christians know how to speak the truth. Mature Christians know how to speak the truth in love. There's a difference. How many of us know that, right? As we think about what's going on in our culture and our world, especially as we move into a political season, man, we're going to be faced with a lot of opportunities uh, to either cave to culture, which we're not going to do here at Cottonwood Creek, or we're going to speak the truth. And it seems like as I even look around at, at culture today and even Christians and churches and perhaps even pastors and uh, civic leaders, it's like you've got one of two options. I see a lot of pastors, a lot of churches, they cave to culture. They'll cave on, on the same-sex thing. They'll cave uh, on the transgender thing. They'll cave on this. They'll cave on that. And, and so it seems like one way is to cave. Well, I will tell you, we we're not going to cave here at Cottonwood Creek. If Scripture is clear, we are going to be equally clear. The other way seems to be, and I'm going to just FYI, I'm going to present a third way. This is the one we're going to try to live out at Cottonwood Creek. The other way is we're not going to cave, we're going to man up. And if God is clear, we're going to be just as clear, all right? Now, here's what I see in this. There seems to be a chasm and a divide that if you cave, you're seen as loving. If you don't cave, you're seen as unloving, all right? I'm going to submit we live a third way. I'm going to submit we live a third way. We are not going to cave. We're going to stand on Scripture. 
but we're also going to maintain a loving heart and a loving attitude in any space in any place why because the most loving thing we can do is speak the truth in love how many of us know that you know i can be loving to you but if i lie to you how loving is that but if i speak the truth to you and love you at the same time that's the best way forward that's the bible way forward so as we think about this christians speak the truth mature christians speak the truth and love that's how we're going to live let me tell you how important the tongue was to jesus look at what he says in mark chapter 12 verse 33 he says um make a good make a tree good uh, i'm talking about the words make a tree good and its fruit will be good or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad for a tree is recognized by its what its fruit he's talking now by the way he's he's talking to uh uh the, the pharisees and the sadducees he says you brood of vipers all right back to the poisonous mouth how can you who are evil say anything good for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of did you get that the mouth speaks what the what the heart is full of he says if your heart is full of hatred and, and anger and bitterness man that's what your mouth is going to say he says a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him in his heart and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him but i tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment be careful guys for every empty word they have spoken for by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned now certainly the most important words you can ever say is the word of faith right that i trust jesus christ as my savior and lord but he's also saying beyond that word of faith trusting in jesus christ that our words need to be true to the religion that jesus led us into that we are going to be loving but we're not going to cave and we're going to also show that with our hearts and our mouths what comes out of our mouth tells everybody what's in our heart and so as we think about this next season in life remember here at cottonwood it's the third way we're not going to cave all right we're going to stand firm but we're not going to stand firm without love that's the third way always added that uh, i ran across this as i was studying uh, yesterday how many of you are from a catholic background catholic background all right uh the uh i read across if you ever heard it, apparently he's a he's a jesuit how many of you heard of the order of the jesuits jesuit historian his name's john o'malley and, and he went back and found an old jesuit priest and they live in communities right and and he wrote this and you can go look at this and i think it's just hilarious now by the way there's going to be a, a uh, an expressive word in here all right uh that he says um and, and i may uh, i may actually uh, because there's kids in the room i may change it all right but here's what he said here are the three rules that they have in jesuit communities to keep the peace rule number one don't ever forget you're not god he says that keeps us humble number two don't ever forget this isn't heaven so stop complaining all the time. Number three, don't be a jerk. 
All right. How many of you just think we would all be better off if we just lived by those three things? And by the way, if you want to look it up, if you pull it up, that word jerk uh, is um, the King James word for donkey in the Old Testament, if you understand what I'm talking about. So, as you think, how many of you think we'd be better off if we just, man, let's don't forget, you're not God, I'm not God. This isn't heaven, so there's always going to be something to complain about. And then number three is just don't be a jerk, right? Our marriages would be better. Our churches would be better. Our places of uh, business would be better. Everything would be better. And so I thought it was great that John O'Malley, if you want to look that up, just those three things, he looked at, he says, man, don't ever forget that, man. So here we are. Let's jump into James chapter three. And let's just walk through it uh, with the time we have left. The first thing he says, James says, just like we looked at in James chapter 1, verse 26, he says, our tongues are the ultimate litmus test for what kind of leader we're going to be in the church and outside the church. You say, where do you see that? Look at James chapter 3, verse 1, verse 1 and 2. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that those who teach will be judged more strictly. So, so let me just start. He, he's talking to teachers. He's talking about preachers. He's talking to us who are leaders. He says, listen, don't desire it because you're going to be judged more strictly. I walk around with the understanding all the time, even though I fail, is that, man, when I preach, when I teach, I better be accurate, I better be clear, I better be loving, I better preach that message the way I think Jesus would preach that message. That's my highest calling. And so he says, listen, let not, not many of you desire to be teachers, because as such, you will, in fact, be judged more strictly. You know what he's saying? With great power comes great responsibility. Guys, I, I live with the understanding every day that if I am not careful, I can lead you into heresy. I can lead you to compromise with culture. And I will tell you, there are times that it would be easier, how many of you know, just to tell you what you want to hear. Man, I just can't imagine how awesome my job would be if every Sunday morning I could just stand up before you and I could tell you everything's going to be good, you're all going to be rich, just give a few dollars to the offering plate and we're all going to be blessed, and I'd be lying through my teeth to you. And as I said, man, if you love God and if you tithe, none of you are going to get sick. The cancer's going to go away. You're never going to lose a loved one. And everybody could applaud and clap, and I would feel really good, and I'd be a liar. I'd be a complete liar. And so it's important that, man, when you surround yourself with teachers, and preachers, if God transfers you and takes you somewhere, man, you, you want to make sure that you're taught by someone that sees it as a great responsibility because with teaching God's Word comes great power. Man, and if, if there are times it feels good to be lied to, 
It does, right? How many of you know that? I mean, someone can lie, I can tell you, you're going to be rich, you're going to be healthy, you're going to be, that makes you feel good. But until then, you walk out of the doors of the church and you're struck with reality. And so as we think about that, uh, you know, in, in Jesus's day, many people wanted to be rabbis. A lot of people wanted to be rabbis. Why? Because it came great power. You would have people follow you. They would hang on every word. They would want to teach you. As a matter of fact, uh, if you look uh, in the old uh, Jewish tradition, a rabbi, rabbi really means great one. Which, by the way, if y'all want to call me great one, I'm in. All right, I'll sign me up. Uh, but I, I, he says, you better be careful. Jump in verse 2. He says, we all stumble. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault and what they say is perfect. He goes, listen, if, if you want to know if a dude is really a good dude in Christ, not a perfect dude, he says, if, just listen to what they say. Just listen to what they say. Man, if I stand up here and teach on compassion and love and, you know, caring and good conversation, and then you hear me in the corner and I am just burning the town down and burning people down, you're like, you know what? Probably what he said over there is more indicative in his heart up here. Does that make sense? That makes this a performance and that the reality. And so, men, we, we, we understand that, listen, we're all going to get mad. Let me tell you what, I got no problem with the dude getting mad. All right, we see it in Scripture. There were, there were times that dudes stood up. God created us as men. That, that we've got power, man, we've got strength, and we don't need to shrink back from that. But there also ought to be a time that we make sure that what we say off camera, Christianity, is the same as what we say on camera. Does that make sense? He says, listen, because if you're perfect in everything you say, he says, the whole body will be in check. So now let's continue to read. He says, not only are, are our tongues indicative um, of uh, kind of the litmus test of who we are and who we really are, he says, our tongues are influential for good or bad. You say, where do you see that? Pick it up, verse 3. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole body. How many of you have horses? How many, anybody have horses, grew up with horses? All right, then... Um, you're like me. I, how many of you really don't like horses? You're not a big fan of horses. See, I'm scared to death. I'll be just the first guy to tell you, I'm scared to death of them. I didn't grow up around horses. I had this guy, a buddy in our church, that they had these two horses that ran around in the field, and every once in a while I'd go over on Sunday after church. We'd put a saddle on them, try to ride them. You know what happens if you've got two horses that have lived in the field, you, and two, two young kids throw a saddle on them? They don't appreciate that. So they were bucking us, running through the trees. So I learned to have a hate-hate relationship with horses. I walk up to them, my heart starts palpitating, they know. But here's the amazing thing. If you know someone that really has a horse, you can have a monster horse. And here's what John's, uh, under, uh, James is saying. You know how big, you can have a 1,000-pound horse, 1,200-pound horse. You know how, how much the bit weighs? About a pound and a half. He says that pound and a half bit will turn the entire horse's body. If it's a really big horse, I looked this up, by the way, you can look, about two pounds. He says, what? He says, when we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. He says, listen, just like a bit in a horse's mouth has great power over the direction they go, your words coming out of your mouth will direct you as well as other people. 
It'll turn them. You're inviting someone to church or you want someone to come to church and then what we say can turn them away. He says, we want to be careful because our words, our tongues, our mouths, that three-inch muscular organ can bring people to faith or drive them away from faith. Look at verse 4. He says, talking about how influential they are. He says, or take ships, for example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants them to go. He says, listen, whatever the rudder does, that determines the direction. Sure, the wind can be blowing, but if you know anything about sailing or you've seen them, then they can cut across the wind, they can go in the wind. Yeah, the wind's influential, but the rudder is what matters. And I love what James, James is looking around, just like you and I would, and he is saying, what's a great example of the power of the tongue? He says, look at that horse over there, a little bitty bit. Look at that big sailboat out there, that big boat out there. The rudder makes, that all, makes all the difference. And so he says, man, not only is our tongue a litmus test to our true rea- reality and our true religion as well as our heart, he says it's incredibly influential, not only on your own lives, but your, own, your lives of your family and your kids and those you come into contact with. Thirdly, just pick it up in verse 5. He says, our tongues are amazingly destructive. How many of you know that? You want to kill your marriage? You don't have to cheat on your wife. Just start dogging her out every day. Just start criticizing her every day. Just start saying something negative every day. Hey, men, you want to destroy your kids? You don't have to hit them. Just criticize them every day. Just always talk about their, their negative things. Just talk about their, tell them they're losers. And guess what? They'll show up exactly there. Does that make, do you understand what I'm saying? Our tongues are destructive, guys. You want to d- destroy somebody else in this room? Just dog them out. You want to keep somebody away from faith? Just, just dog them out. And so notice what he says. He says, likewise, verse 5, talking about how destructive it is. The tongue is a small part of the body. How big? Three-inch muscular organ. But it makes great boast. I've seen it. You've seen it. Three-inch tongue can destroy a six-foot man. You've seen it happen. You've seen it happen. People are different, man. And so we want to be careful how we talk. And so guys, I love, I am all for men being real men. But sometimes the best measure of a real man is when he learns how to talk to his wife in a loving way. And if he can't tame the tongue, he's not a real man. All right? And so that's what we got to get serious about our kids and things like that. And guys, I want you to know... I'm not telling you anything that I don't struggle with. Do you understand that about your pastor? That uh, I'll just tell you, I mean, some of these guys that work with me, I've got a pretty effective tongue. How many of you know what I mean? Right? I mean, we get in here and some big decisions. We got something going on all the time at the church, and every once in a while I'll say something, go, yeah, I probably could have come out better. But had I made it come out better, it wouldn't have felt as good. How many of you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) 
right. I mean, let's, let's be honest. We men, we're all about feelings. I mean, there are times that you just light someone up and you walk away and say, God, that felt good. Right? But you're like, yeah, I probably could have done a better job with that. So we need to understand it's incredibly destructive. Um, a, a, a large ship is changed. It says destructive. Now move on. Look at verse 5. He says, consider how destructive this is. What a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. He says, man, our tongue can set a fire that causes great devastation and destroys an entire forest. That little three-inch organ. Set a fire, destroy an entire forest. That means our tongues are inflammatory. It's like gas on the flames. Man, we can walk into a situation and you got something that is going on and, man, the embers are burning. We can walk in and with our words make it blow up or with our words make it go out. And he goes, man, our tongues are amazingly powerful. Look at it in verse 6. He says, the tongue is also a, also a fire, an evil among the parts of the deadly parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it is itself set on fire by hell. Um, how many of you think that's pretty direct? That's pretty direct. He says, man, your tongue is also a fire. It is a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one life on fire. You can almost just see this man on fire, right? And it's all from his tongue. And then notice what it says. It says, is itself set on fire by hell. If you go to Jesus' day, that word fire, you might want to underline it. It's one of the New Testament words for hell. Uh, it, it is the word you've probably heard of, Gehenna. If you go just outside of uh, Jerusalem, uh, there is a place called Gehenna, all right? There's a place called Gehenna. You can track it back into the Old Testament if you don't know anything about Gehenna. It, it is the place that the Canaanites, if you've heard about this, would go and sacrifice their babies to the Old Testament god Moloch. All right? So then you remember the good King Josiah that came in, caused a revival in the land. He basically uh, condemned that place, said it was defiled. Why? Because of the Canaanite practices of sacrificing their babies to their god Moloch. And so it's outside Jerusalem, he condemned it. Even in Jesus' day, it was condemned. It became kind of the trash dump, the trash dump for Jerusalem. They would take their trash out there, and not only that, here was the big key. How many of you have been to the dump in, up in Melissa lately? How many of you? It, doesn't that just have a great smell? It just gets all over you. And so as you went outside of Jerusalem, here's what would happen. In Jesus' day, it was where people would throw their dead, uh, excuse me, throw their trash, also the dead carcasses if they had an animal die. And they would take their criminals out there, and they would oftentimes throw them in Gehenna. And as was common in that day, they would burn the bodies of the criminals. And so it was always this fire, this stench, and this smoke, this smell of burning skin. And he goes, let me tell you what. If your tongue is out of control, it is like being at the dump. It makes you smell it makes everybody else smell. If you think about just, if you hadn't been to the dump lately, I'm not talking about this transfer station, or I'm talking about the dump. 
If you go to the dump, man, you, that whole day you're smelling it. You're just kind of, you, you take a bath, you, it's in your clothes, it's in your vehicle. It's bad. And he's saying, man, that's what your tongue can do to you. He says, in your tongue, man, it's like being in hell. It's like being in Gehenna. And everybody ultimately will know. Now continue to read. Look at verse 7. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are tamed and have been tamed by mankind. Just, he says, you know, just go to the circus. Go to the circus. He says, you ever seen it kind of cool what they make elephants do? How many of you think that's kind of cool? Uh, the guy that sticks his head in the, in the lion's uh, mouth, I, I'd never get that, right? Because at the end of the day, he's a lion, right? Be careful, right? They got a lot of little monkeys running around, all those things. He says, hey, mankind's tamed a lot of animals. We, we've done a lot of those things, but notice what he says. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And these guys that are uh, that train snakes for a living are quote these you ever see these snake charmers they're just their kids are hanging around with cobras and you're just seeing and I don't know anytime I see that come up I'm just like they're crazy right because at the end of the day a snake is a snake is a snake right and what's in its mouth deadly poison and what he's saying is it doesn't matter how much or how often you train your tongue Boys, it won't take long for it to fill back up with deadly poison. And he goes, you never tame it. You can tame it for this season in your life. You can tame it for this conversation. You can tame it for this moment. But he goes, guess what? You wake up tomorrow, you better tame it for this conversation, this moment, this season. Does that make sense? We never eternally tame the tongue until we're dead. And so he says, guys, we always want to be working on this. I mean, think about it. How many of you have known somebody that a couple of years ago they used to be nice and kind and this, and now you walk up and everything is, is poisonous words coming out? And you can also think on the grace side. There are times that I used to hear and talk to people at the church when they first came into church. I was like, whoa. And now all of a sudden you see God's doing a work in their life. But he says, listen, be careful. You will never ultimately tame your tongue. It's always a work in process. I love what uh, the psalmist said in Psalm 141, verse 3. He says, set a guard over your mouth, over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. This is something we've got to look after all the time. In every conversation, in every place, wherever you are, you can pray that prayer. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Now, so our, our tongue, it's a litmus test of our life. It's incredibly destructive. It is the leader, the influencer in our life. But also, it, it creates a lot of confusion. You say, where do you see this? Look at it. It says, verse 9, he says, With the tongue we praise the Lord, our Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. He says, out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. He says, can both fresh water and cold water, uh, fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. He says, man, it's kind of a paradox. He says, have you noticed this, that a uh, fresh spring is not going to produce salt water and a salt spring is not going to produce fresh water? He goes, it's just a simple thing. 
He says, guys, how will we know whether you're bringing fresh water in your faith or salt water by what comes out of your mouth? He says, man, our tongue can be a paradox. He says, one moment we praise God, one moment we curse. What is he saying? One moment you're in church, next moment you're at lunch, and the waiter's slow, or the waitress is slow. What is he saying? He says, it ought not to be. He says, man, as men of God, we want to do everything we can to work it. Man, you, you don't want to be the man of God that comes in here and talks about how much you love Jesus and Tuesday morning and go to Bible study, and then you walk out of here and you burn up your bride. And you destroy your kids. He says, this ought not to be. James is pretty clear, right? I mean, he's saying, guys, we got stuff to do, and we've got tongue, a tongue to tame. Man, he says, I love this. He says, because if we can get, right, get it right in this area, your witness will multiply. People will be attracted. And I will tell you, listen to this. I'm not telling us to be sissies. How many of you know we don't do that at Godwood Creek? But you can be a real man and control your tongue. You can be a real man and not praise God one moment and curse others the next. Doesn't mean you can't speak the truth. But it's the third we're here. We speak the truth in love. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Notice what he says, and we're going to close quickly, and I'm going to give you five questions you need to ask yourself every time you talk today. He says, do not let any unwholesome word, this is what Paul said, unwholesome word come out of your mouth. He says, accept what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I love that. Do not let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth. If you want to underline that, talk about it. That word unwholesome is the same word they use for rotten fruit. You ever walked up to some bananas and uh, you, you bought them, you bring them home and you set them there and it seems like 12 hours later they turn black. You know, like, I don't even want them, they're mushy, or fruit flies and apples or something like that. He says, that's what it is, that's the same word. He says, be careful. So here are five words, five questions that'll help us all be better. Five simple questions, you might want to just write these down as to whether I should say it or not. Number one, is it true? Is it true? If I'm wondering if I should say something or not, to someone else, ask myself the question, is it true? Here's number two. Is it beneficial? Is it going to help the situation? All right? See, because something can be true, but you saying something about it won't be beneficial. Don't we understand that? There are times, if I don't have the relational capital or something like that, I could say something true, but because of what I've said in the past, it's not beneficial at the moment. Here's number three. Is it necessary? Do I need to have this conversation? Do I need to say this? Do I need to confront this person? Is it necessary? Here's number four. This is a question of privacy. If it's something private, do I have permission to say it? Do I have permission to share it? So let's say that someone comes up and they, they, they open their heart to you. You could go to someone else and say, you know what I just heard. It might be true. 
it's not beneficial, all right? It's not necessary, but they didn't give me permission to share it. And here's number five. Is my motive pure? Is my motive pure? Now, all of those don't, don't, don't flow in every conversation, but is it true? Yes. Something can be true and not beneficial. You know what? Something can be true, but I don't have permission to share it. Something can be true and beneficial, and it's necessary. Because if I don't say something now, man, it's going to get worse in the future. And then finally, man, is my motive pure? If you're going to go up and you're going to say something real clear, let me tell you what, here's how you know if your motive's pure. You want to know the thermostat? If it's going to make you feel better to say it, it's probably not a pure motive. How many of you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and that's where Christianity takes all the fun out of being a man, right? I'm kidding. But you want to check, check your motive. Is your motive pure? If I'm sitting there going, I can't wait. I can't wait to light him up. That's when you know you need to tame the tongue. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for being a man. Thank you for creating us as Christian men and being surrounded by Christian men. Let us, let us be people of that third way. We're not going to cave to culture. We're going to always speak the truth. But that third way, we're going to speak the truth and love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. all have a great day. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information regarding Cottonwood Creek, go to cottonwoodcreek.org. And we hope you tune in next time for more episodes of Men's Bible Study.